I'd invite you guys to pray with me. Oh, gracious God. Um, every time we come to this point in our worship each week, Lord, uh, it's just this time to stop and give thanks for your word uh, that really, truly is this incredible gift to us. That if we will let it, if we will listen, if we will open ourselves up, if we will let go of the things we clutch onto so tightly, uh, so that we could just hear and receive uh, what you are seeking to speak into our lives. Um, God, you have so much to show us and to teach us. God, you know. You know the way. You know what is best for us. You know what leads to life and goodness, not just for us, but for our world. Um, and so as we come before your word this day, Lord, just speak truth into our hearts and our lives. Um, let us humble ourselves before you. Let your spirit move uh, so that we might see your son, Jesus, so that we might follow after him, not by our own power, God, but by your grace. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 14, and as I alluded to with the kiddos, um, we're going to read this from the message. Paul is like thick and dense anytime you read Paul, and so I love when we come to Paul, I love checking out what the message says because it just helps. Um, it helps open up, I think, um, Paul's words and writing into our own times. Let's listen uh, to God's word for us uh, from Romans. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat... Eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. 
None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly, or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position one bit. Read it for yourself in scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else. Making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced. Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, so, Rob, you can throw that picture up on the screen. Sorry, I didn't give you time. Okay, so this past week, a group of 18 of us journeyed to southeast Missouri to spend three days kayaking the current river together. Among the 18 was our family of four, George, I, Maya, and Bryn. Uh, we were all able to make the trip. In the past, we've hosted this trip every other summer, but thanks to the pandemic, this was the first time we had been back to the current river since 2018. 
which meant this was the first year our family was able to kayak the river in our own vessels. Since Bryn had only been five on the last trip and had ridden along with me in a double kayak. For those of you that know Bryn well, you will not be surprised to learn that if I were to give out awards to everyone at the end of our trip, she would have gotten the Energizer Bunny Award. Some people get in a kayak to mainly float the river, paddling just where needed to keep their boat headed in the right direction. Bryn preferred to paddle the river and always found herself near the front of our 18 kayak pack. I was nursing a strained shoulder, so George stayed with Bryn while I hung back with Maya, who would tell you herself that she was more interested in tanning the river than floating or paddling it. Despite its name, the current is a pretty tame river. There is a current for sure, that as of last week would move you down the river at a pace of about two and a half miles an hour. But there are few rapids, and all in all, it's a pretty easy float. Which is why I found myself laughing in the middle of the second day when Maya came up upon a partially submerged log in the water in the middle of the river. The current pushed her toward the log somewhat unexpectedly, and she was slow to paddle against it focused on the tanning, and in what felt like slow motion, she says calmly and matter-of-factly as her boat came towards the log, I am going to tip. <laughs> and then as the left side of her boat was raised up out of the water as it collided with the log, tip she did as the river dumped her and her kayak over into its waters. She was in a foot and a half of fairly calm water, so she came up out of it, and all I could do was laugh as Charlie and I worked to get her boat righted and her drenched self back in it. I should have known better than to laugh, y'all. River karma seems always ready to get you the second you get too confident in your skills, the second you look down upon or judge another. Within two hours, I was the drenched one, having dumped into the river in the exact same way as my daughter, not so focused on the tanning, but still. The current running me up onto a log. Unlike her, I was at a pretty fast point in the river, and as I struggled to gain my footing, Maya had to first not run over me as she steered that particular stretch of the river. And then she had to rescue and right my kayak that had been carried away as I focused on the work of righting myself. By the time I met her downriver, we were both laughing. But it was a laughter born not out of judgment or pride, but instead shared experience and humility. By the end of the trip, if I were to get an award, I am guessing it would have been the dump queen because I ended up in the water not just once, but twice, which I think might have been the most of anyone on the trip, my daughter included. Our story from the river is a lighthearted example and metaphor for the important teaching the Apostle Paul has for us in our text today. Y'all, we are all trying to make our way along the river of life. We are all on a journey. We traverse it together, but we all have our own kayak, so to speak. 
And from where we are sitting, we have different takes, understandings about how best to get down the river, how to paddle, what direction to go when there is a fork in the river, what to avoid, what to explore, what gear to bring with us, what food to enjoy on the river's banks. No two people's journeys down the river are the same. The same is true for this life that we live. Yet the thing that is constant is that it's the same water that carries all of us. This writing from Paul is powerful, especially when we hear it in Eugene Peterson's The Message, which translates the teaching into the language of our time. Just as there are significant divisions in the world, nation, church of our time and place, there are also in the world, nation, and church of Paul's. The focus here in Romans 14 is on dietary laws and beliefs around holy days. While these matters might seem trivial to us, they were not in the culture of Paul's days. The Christian movement was born out of the Jewish tradition in the first century where what you ate and how you spent your time on holy days were significant parts of Jewish law and incredibly central to the life of faith. Yet that movement clearly was not meant for the nation of Israel alone. And as it spread to Gentile peoples with radically different cultural norms, clashes about how to live life as Christians erupted and threatened the movement as it was just beginning. For decades now, the church has let its own clashes in the midst of the culture wars of our time dominate our witness to the larger world. As a result, the Christian movement is threatened once again. And Paul's word is an important one for us to hear today. Throughout the writing, Paul uses the weak and the strong as a way to define the two groups. But he doesn't, does it without making it specifically clear which group is which. We see this in the opening paragraph. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see the things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Pick any issue of our day and put yourself in either camp that sits on opposite sides of that particular dividing line. And as you read this verse, you realize that the strong and the weak can easily be, easily be switched depending upon which camp you find yourself in. Depending upon what your particular perspective is. Paul goes on to point out that in God's kingdom, these dividing lines do not exist. That God has invited all of us to the table. So Paul asks us, do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. 
And it's clear from Paul's writing and Jesus' teaching in the Gospels that it is not our table nor our guest list, and therefore we are not to be the ones sitting at the head of it. The role of judge is not ours to hold. No matter where we find ourselves along the river or in the camps of our time, we are not the strong meant to sit in judgment of the weak. In reality, we actually are all the same. As New Testament scholar Elizabeth Shively puts it, the point in Romans chapter 14 is that all believers are together the weak made strong who stand in God's grace now and who will be made to stand confidently at the judgment because of God's gift of redemption in Christ. If we are all the weak made strong by the love and grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ, Shively goes on to ask, then who are we to sit in judgment over one another? I love that line from the message. So tend to your own knitting. You've got your hands full just tending to your own life before God. We all will stand before the judgment of God. We've got enough in our own lives to worry about and focus upon. So often our judgment of others is an escape from having to actually honestly take a deep look into the mirror and deal with what we see there. Paul goes on, forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, he says, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. When we stand at a distance, labeling people, dismissing people, judging those who think or believe differently than us, we do harm to ourselves, to them, and to the kingdom to which we all belong. We do not want to be a log in the river, a stumbling block whose judgment makes life more difficult than it already is for others. Judgment belongs to God alone. The work we are called to is the work of loving kindness, which happens up close, which recognizes that even in our differences, how similar we all really are. How we all are all just trying to make our way down the river. How we all will hit stretches where we get dumped from time to time. How we are not called to sit in judgment of one another, but instead are invited to come alongside each other. Listening and learning from one another, helping each other as we make our way down the river together. Each of us, the weak made strong. 
each of us carried by the same life-giving waters, the waters of Christ's grace and love. Amen? Amen. Amen.